Okay. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Complete Sports Media's podcast. I'm your host, Darren Campbell. And today we've got a really fantastic guest. We're very excited to have Evan Dunphy join us. Uh, most of you should know Evan. Uh, he's a very decorated athlete in Canada, has been able to bring home medals from many athletic competitions, including the Olympic Games. And a lot of you uh, Richmond people obviously uh, realize that he's running for city councillor uh, in the municipal elections that are happening this week. So uh, on a very busy week for Evan, uh, we're super happy that we can get some time with him and uh, have him join us today on a podcast. Uh, thanks so much, Evan. I really appreciate you coming in. I know uh, this is the home stretch. Uh, get coming into the election. Uh, you got to be very busy. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Darren. I'm happy to be here and happy to make time. And you're right, very busy. But um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been fun, and it's hopefully this last week continues to be fun. Nice. Well, I'm glad you have fun. You always look like you're having fun uh, out there when you're racing. I know it's a gruel a grueling, grueling race. Uh, your favorite 50 kilometers, but uh, you look like you know you're having the time of your life. Uh, I I I know how much you inspired Canadians when. You were in the 2016 Olympics and you were right near the end. Uh, there was an incident where you got bumped off your stride uh, by uh, another race walker. Um, they ended up uh, saying at the end of the race that uh, he was disqualified. You were promoted to the podium. There was an appeal and uh, it was reversed. Uh, your reaction to that appeal seemed to really... Um, just make a lot of people very proud of your reaction to it, uh, because obviously that's that had to be devastating to be on the podium then off the podium. Uh, but were you surprised at the reaction of, of Canadians and people around the world to uh, your show of sportsmanship there? Yeah, absolutely surprised. I mean, first off, I didn't think that, you know, the 50K race wouldn't have been the most exhausting part of my day that day. <laughs> the uh, certainly the back and forth that uh, um, that came to after that was uh, much more mentally exhausting. But um, no, I, I absolutely shocked because you know hours after the race, I was asked by um, you know one of our media people in the village saying, "Having you know people want to hear from you, you, you need to put out a statement." Okay. And I looked at them and laughed and said, "My parents are here." who else watched <laughs> so you know the, my just had no inclination even on facebook like to my close friends and family the night before the race it said look it's a 4 a.m race time start back in vancouver don't wake up in four i don't wake up at four and watch wake up at like six if i'm still in camera shot like maybe keep the race on but if i'm like out of camera shot go back to bed like that was the expectation i had for my close friends wow. so to find out that cbc had played most of the race um live and and that people had tuned in and watched and, and got excited about it and, and then followed the story afterwards was you know a, a huge surprise to me and um you know to see the outpouring of support that, that people had um you know in in the decision i made uh, and then more so the platform it gave me when i came home you know as a as a race walker i i had never really imagined being able to be uh, super valuable in my community. <laughs> um, I kind of thought I was, you know, doing this thing for me and nobody else really paid attention to it or, or cared about it. And I was happy to do it for me. Coming home from Rio really allowed me to get out 
there into my community and and be valuable and 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 do you know do a lot of really great work in the community and show me that I actually didn't need that platform to do it. I could have been doing it all along. I just you know had that wrong idea about it. But but the yeah certainly you know getting involved with kids sport and uh, everything that sort of came out of that over the next few years um, you know was was really fantastic and really awesome. So I'm you know grateful for how that all transpired. Yeah yeah so was I. Uh, it's it's very inspiring when. Uh, you can see um, Canadian athletes uh, on the world stage and then when they can show sportsmanship as well. Um, I had uh, one of the best uh, times in my life when the Olympics came here to Vancouver and the Vancouver area, obviously even events here in Richmond. Uh, tell me about your experience uh, when the Olympics came here. I know they're winter to summer, uh, different for you, but uh, how was your experience uh, when they had them locally here? We were, uh, so I was in, I was in this, what, second, third year uh, of my second year of my degree at, at, in kinesiology at UBC okay. and UBC had given the whole two weeks off for reading week um, yeah. and being in kinesiology. I know I had some friends who their profs were like, Kate, like the day you get back, you have, you know, you have a midterm. Oh, um, wow. But being in kinesiology, all my profs kind of were equally as excited to watch the Olympics. So um, they sort of said, hey, just take these two weeks, enjoy it, have fun. Like you'll never like how often you get this opportunity. So um, it was just two weeks of, of watching sports and enjoying it. I didn't go to any events um, because I was a poor university student, okay. um, but uh, but, you know, just took it all in and, and just had a ton of fun and, and just, yeah, really, you know, really remember that fondly. Um, I, I do have a tricky relationship with the Olympics, um, you know, on the other end of things of of knowing the kind of uh, the costs that they have and the marginalization that they can create. And you look at Rio and um, the village, they bulldozed a bunch of, um, you know, flavellas and, and um, you know, so there's a lot of like, I have a really tricky relationship with the Olympics as someone who competes in them. <laughs> um, but like from that entertainment value point of view, um, it, it was fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people obviously have uh, some issues with the Olympics and the cost. And and uh, I remember uh, hearing that um, you were a little bit uh, you were a little bit taken aback because of the um, the Tokyo, uh, the, the people in Tokyo not really supporting the Olympics uh, as they were coming. Uh, they weren't uh, on board uh, because of those costs and things like that. But um, I heard that uh, the Tokyo people really did embrace them once the games began and once, uh, you know, things started happening, uh, they could see what, you know, what was coming, what, why, why they were there. Yeah, you sort of typically see that Vancouver did have that same thing as well. Um, you know, it was all, and it got off to a really rocky start with um, the, the, the Georgian, Georgian loser who, mm. um, you know, who sadly died and, uh, and not having any snow in those first couple of days even leading into it, I mean, the, the month leading into it was very, uh, like overly negative. And then those first couple of days even were, were quite negative. And then things kind of, you know, Bill Lido got his medal and things kind of turned around from, okay. from there. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, I think the one thing for that to be said is that the people that don't want the Olympics in their city tend to leave for the Olympics. And so you get left with once the games actually start, you just get left with the people who 
um, you know, who, who really want to be there. Um, so that it does help flip the script a little bit on that. But um, yeah. And then of course, obviously like I was devastated when they moved my race um, you know, the, the three race walk events and the two marathon events from Tokyo to Sapporo. Um, because again, to- the people of Tokyo were paying billions of dollars for these games. And these were five events that are free to watch. And that's one of the things I love about the race walk events is that you don't need a ticket. You can just stroll up the side of the road and stand three, four feet away from the athletes and really get to, to, you know, still take in that magic that I think the Olympics have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really, really upset with that because, you know, you, you taking five of, of, you know, the majority of the free events, there's not many of them and taking them and moving them 900 kilometers away um, was it, it was a bit devastating for, uh, especially in Tokyo, where the marathon is, you know, the marathon is the gold medal hockey game in yeah. Japan. You know, they're, they're that crazy about, you know, they're as crazy for marathon running as we are for hockey. So can you imagine if they had said, oh, no, Vancouver, you're not going to host the gold medal hockey game during the Olympics. We're actually going to send it to Calgary. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I had, a, I had a, a bit of an issue with that. Yeah. I um and that decision was made uh because they they thought the uh the heat would be less uh up north is that correct that was yeah that was sort of the driving factor um and then it still ended up being my race was 35 degrees by the end and wow. uh, about 44 degrees on the on the if you include the humidity so um you know didn't get much of a reprieve but that worked out well for me because I I tend to do well in those conditions so okay okay so uh, you, I've heard you say that you wanted to be an Olympian from a young age, uh, something like 10 years old, that you set that goal. And um, when the Olympics came here to Vancouver, did that just fuel it even more? Um, it's, it's hard to parse out what, you know, I think my degree, I think once I started actually studying kinesiology and, and learning how the body works i think that was probably and i had this dream in the back of my head that i wanted to be olympics and you know got into university because of my athletics certainly wasn't because of my academics <laughs> um and and then once i i started in my kinesiology degree my second year at ubc that was really when i kind of took ownership of um a lot of what i was doing so I, i've had the same coach since i started race walking at 10 years old um he came up to me after my first race said, Hey, you look like you enjoyed that. Do you want to come, you know, train with the group of 55, you know, 55 year old plus athletes that I have. And, and so it was me and my brother and, and a bunch of these masters athletes, um, for a long time. And as, as Jerry, my coach sort of saw that I was more serious about it. He was like, Oh, I guess I need to get more serious about coaching and just always tried to stay one step ahead of me. But that relationship where we've kind of grown together also really allowed me a lot of space to, do you know figure out my own stuff and and coach myself a little bit and so i think you know the olympics kind of corresponded with with this moment in time when i was taking more ownership um go over my own training and and really changing that goal from i want to go to the olympics because that seems like a cool thing versus like i want to go to the olympics because i want to be you know i think i have this potential to be that good of an athlete and i want to like fulfill that potential um the 2012 olympics were probably the biggest turning point actually i didn't qualify for london and i was sitting at home kind of feeling miserable and sorry for myself and had my best friend and my teammate was competing and i kind of realized i got convinced that well i should actually be there to support him so it was a wednesday night i still remember it was a wednesday night 
I got convinced. I went online and looked at flights. I was like, oh, that's actually not too bad. So I ended up trying to book a flight, had to use my parents' credit cards. So mom had to like rush to Staples to get a copy of her driver's license so that we could book the flight. And then by the time we got home, the flight had actually become $300 cheaper somehow. (laughs) And so booked the flight Wednesday night, flew to London Thursday morning and was there on Friday to watch my, my teammate compete. And, and being on the other side of the fence for that, like being there, watching my friends, my teammates, my competitors sort of achieve that dream of mine. That was probably more than anything. What, what, you know, sort of ignited the, the, the spark that sort of pulled me through the next 10 years um, in terms of, okay, well, I want this. What do I need to do to make sure I'm not on this side of the fence again, um, you know, right. going forward. Right. So that, you know, the, I think Vancouver was fun for me. Okay. London was the, re- was the one that kind of awoke something in me. Wow. Well, it seems like the stars were aligned uh, when the, the flight suddenly becomes $300 cheaper. Uh, yeah. You know, within an hour or so, uh, <laughs> however that long t- took. Yeah, uh, I guess I guess eight hours before the flight leaves, they're just trying to fill seats at that point, and they'll, they'll take okay. whatever they can get. I see, I see. Uh, what was your teammate's name? Iñaki Gomez. So he okay. finished um, 11th um, in London, broke the Canadian record, and had this amazing race. And I just remember seeing – you know, all his family that was there at the finish line and him just like sort of going and embracing them. And, you know, just, we, there was a lot of, there was a lot of crying that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. So we, we briefly talked about the 2016 fourth place finish and, you know, the Canadian record by a couple of minutes and, you know, a lot of obviously huge accolades and notoriety and things. And then, so you set a goal for 2020. And then the pandemic hits and they push it to 2021. And then you have to uh, try to uh, achieve that, you know, top level again. Uh, Tell me about those preparations from the first Olympics to the second Olympics. Well, yeah. So I remember March of 2020 when we got the announcement, I got a phone call um, sort of saying, well, how do you feel about Canada not sending a team to Tokyo? And I remember being like, I'm gonna have to call you back because you're the first person to tell me this wow. <laughs> and, and went and read the, read the release. And, and, you know, at that point in time, it was the right decision. Like, I, you know, the Olympics hadn't been postponed yet, but it, you know, I was, I was pretty proud of the leadership that we saw from, from team Canada to, to say no. And then, so you had that kind of week in limbo where you're like, Oh, well, the Olympics might happen and we're not going to be there. And then when they got postponed, it was kind of like this big sigh of relief of, okay, all right, we can, you know, we got a chance still. And, Nice. Um, I was, I was recovering from a few little niggles and injuries and stuff like that. So I was actually pretty grateful because I was under a lot of time pressure to get myself ready for August. Um, but yeah, then it came from, you know, it went from March, 2020 to June of 2021, I guess it was without any racing, wow. you know, didn't really have any opportunities to race and, um, was just had to trust in my training and, and, and stay on track and, and just just kind of know that I was getting myself into the right into the right place and um, that would have been really hard for me a few years earlier like when I used to define myself by wins and losses and times and all this stuff I would have needed those races to to keep me going and check in and all that stuff so I was really grateful for where I was at as a person in my journey (laughs) because it kind of allowed me to you know be okay with just just training just training for the sake of training not training towards anything in the near term and okay. um 
And then obviously having the support in Richmond was amazing. You know, January, 2021, where, okay, I know I need to be doing 600 kilometers of base training. And normally I'd be down in Australia doing this with 20 other guys from, you know, all around the world in 30, 40 degree weather and with all the support. And I'm here in Richmond in the dark, in the cold, in the rain by myself. And it was really like the people in Richmond that, that kept me going, the, the people honking their horns, you know, yelling out their window, go Evan, go, or, or, you know, the, the emails I got from people saying, Oh, like I saw you out training in the pouring rain. And I figured, well, well, I can go for a walk as well then. And, and hearing stuff like that was, you know, really, really what kept me going. So um, it was really cool to have that, have that. And, and, and also learn, you know, as I progress into this new world, um, knowing that I can still get really, really fit here at home by myself. Uh, you know, I don't need those training camps um, because if, if things go to plan next week, um, those training camps won't be uh, possible anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there was, it was, it was cool. It was very different, but it was, um, it was, you know, really, really cool to have that, that community behind me. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, uh, when they think about the pandemic, when they talk about the pandemic, it's just all negative. It's just, uh, oh my God, uh, you know, this was horrible for the planet. But um, sometimes uh, other people look at it as a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Uh, I I started this podcast during that time because I never had time before to, to actually do this. Uh, you had time to start looking at municipal uh <laughs> politics and and uh you know wanting to i heard that you have been thinking about wanting to give back to richmond and the community for for many 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 years and wanting to do something so being it do you think the pandemic was a little bit of a blessing in disguise for you because it sort of gave you a new direction uh, in your life uh, yeah i maybe you know it's certainly a catalyst certainly it was a catalyst for i mean and on the one hand they the all the council meetings came online so they were just on youtube so they were accessible to to watch on my time rather than having to be at the meetings when you know when they're happening and and sit down and watch them so it made it way more accessible uh which was fantastic i had one person i saw each week and that was my coach on sunday when we go and walk you know go and do a 40 to 42k walk together and And both of us hadn't talked to anybody else all week. And so it was, you know, this like this great time of three, three and a half hours to just, you know, talk about some of these things that we had never talked about before on my coach, you know, very getting into some very like deep issues and, and stuff. And obviously, you know, in 2020 with the George Floyd killing and, um, and sort of the reckoning that came from that, like uh, dealing with a lot of, talking about a lot of my privilege and a lot of my unconscious biases and, and just like these really deep conversations while out for a, about for a three hour walk with my coach. And, um, and then we started to look around the neighborhood and, and, and comment on what we were seeing and, and, and understanding like, okay, well, what are the problems? You know, what, why is, why does this neighborhood look like this? Why is it built like this? Oh, can it be built better? Oh, and then like, you know, sort of following those threads and, 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 you know, coming to a, a greater understanding of why things are the way they are and how they could be better. Uh, and, um, and so really that, that was kind of the, the catalyst for doing, for coming into this world is they've got really, fell really in, 
love with looking at different land use stuff and, and how we can foster community through what we allow where essentially. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, it was kind of like, well, if I'm going to spend the next four years criticizing the council for, for making bad decisions that I don't agree with, I made my money where my mouth is and, 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 you know, go for it myself. Um, and so that kind of all led to, led to this, led to where we are today. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing to, to see somebody uh, have a goal, set the goal, reach a goal, and then suddenly, uh, you know, go, okay, I've reached those goals. Now, what's next? And it's really nice that you uh, have been in, you know, you, you're born in Richmond, you raised in Richmond. Have you lived anywhere else? Has it always been Richmond? Uh, I lived in Vancouver during my, I lived on campus and then, um, you know, close to school during, during my degree. Um, but, uh, still came home to do my laundry on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yeah. So, yeah. And I heard you say that, uh, nobody's ever walked more in Richmond than you have. So, you know, you, you've pretty much covered, I'm sure every single street in this whole entire city. Not quite. Uh, there actually is an app that tells you <laughs> how much of the city you've walked. And there are a couple of guys who have, have walked or run every street in Richmond. Okay. Um, I'm not one of them. Um, but on a pure kilometer basis, I think I've done the most. I've walked, you know, uh, probably 50,000 kilometers in a city. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. So, um, but yeah, there are some, there are a few streets that, that I haven't got to yet. Um, but I've seen, I've seen the majority of them. <laughs> oh i like to see your app uh just see the lines that are just uh, all over the place it must R be pretty neat. richmond's tricky because you know vancouver you can make a route where you just go you know up one street down the next street up one street down the next street and richmond you gotta go into the cul-de-sac around the cul-de-sac so you, you really it's right. you know covering the same amount of roads is a lot more distance in richmond because you gotta double back through the same <laughs> cul-de-sacs a lot and <laughs> constantly it. be like okay am i on okay am i on okay i'm on seabrook road okay i have to find seabrook crescent and that's attached to c king and you're just like uh, it's, it's impossible to do it without constantly looking at your phone being like where am i <laughs> right uh, what about this door knocking you said you're going to be doing after our podcast today? Uh, I, I guess that's uh, opened up your eyes to a lot more of the city as well, uh, actually going and physically knocking on doors and, and meeting the people. It's been a lot of fun chatting to people and, and, and hearing from from people. And we've been, I have a pretty small team. It's me, my partner, my dad, and, and a couple of friends here and there. Um, so we've kind of focused our efforts on the, a lot of the townhouse complexes because they're just you can just more bang for your buck. Um, but just, you know, especially when you get into some of these older complexes that, that are built around the idea of community. Mm -hmm. And you can see that, that, that like the design of these complexes fosters that sense of community and foster that sense of neighborliness. And you sort of think, well, why can't we just bottle this up and, and spread it out everywhere? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, you, you talk to people at their doors and you say, I want to take what you have here and okay, maybe we don't have enough land to do this in the 65 unit scale that, that your complex is, but like take what makes this great and distill it into little 10 unit chunks and build those 10 unit chunks everywhere. And you tell that to people and go, well, can you do that? And you're sort of like, well, yeah, here's what's holding us back. Here's what's stopping us from doing that. And they go, oh, oh, well, yeah, like, let's do that. Right. <laughs> Nice. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been really fun to, to see, you know, to hear people's ideas and, and hear people, you know, what people like and don't like about 
their neighborhoods and stuff. And at the same time, also have the opportunity to be like, oh yeah, we can do better. Like, you know, explain to people like, you know, there's so many things that we could do better and change. And, and, and I think a lot of people just don't ever think of that because the rolling ball of momentum uh, is moving so fast <laughs> and it, and, and the idea that you can sort of stop that and change its course um, isn't really on top of most people's minds. Whereas it's been on the top of my mind for the last three years about, okay, how do we stop that ball of, mo- you know, rolling down the hill and, and change its course a little bit. And, nice. um, and so it's been fun to get to sort of share my passions, share my ideas for that with people. That seems to be one of your biggest platforms and everything that I've uh, watched and listened to. Um, active transportation and uh, some climate um, sensibility, things like that. Uh, do you want to just sort of encapsulate your, um, you know, biggest platforms? And sure, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all it's you know, climate, housing, and transportation are all related. You can't you can't do one in a silo. You know, you you build denser housing without fixing your transportation you're gonna just be a car sewer still and that's not good for the environment so um you know you have to be all these things have to sort of take each other into account and as as you develop as you grow making sure that you're you know doing that in a way that's more sustainable so what can we do in terms of requiring new buildings to have water capture or external um, shading so that you don't have these big glass towers that just, you know, melt you inside um, in the summer. Um, and then how can you connect that to more active transportation, more, more, more bus access, more cycling lanes, um, you know, better walkability so that some of those buildings have little coffee shops in them or have a little corner store where you can go and pick up your essentials um, without having to get in the car and drive to, you know, the big, the big grocery store. Um, so it's, it, it really is about sort of systemic change and, and going into the framework of things and, 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 you know, focusing on the framework, you know, building and, and the other side of it for the housing stuff is, you know, pretty simply just ending our exclusionary zoning. So ending the fact that we reserve 75% of our land for large detached homes, and then get surprised the, by the fact that, you know, our townhouses and apartments and our multifamily housing is expensive because we require it to all exist on 25% of our land. Not a lot, um, right? yeah. So, so that's sort of my, you know, the, my, my key pillars. Um, and, and you basically just now we have an opportunity to do that because we're updating our official community plan. And so this is the sort of once in a generation chance to, to put some of that stuff into effect, build it into the framework so that these good things that we want can kind of blossom naturally rather than, you know, constantly trying to like spin a hundred plates um, and, and, you know, dropping, dropping 95 of them. <laughs> That's no good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're, you're running independently. Uh, BC is um, one of the only provinces in Canada where there are, political parties at the municipal level uh there are quite a few parties that i see that are um you know active in this uh, jurisdiction and and trying to get the candidates there um is does that put you at any disadvantage uh, being independent not affiliated with them maybe there's not as much money behind you uh team support that type of thing uh is it uh, difficult uh, more difficult as an independent to um, get into this campaign? 
It's it's a balance for sure. I mean, certainly being independent has its challenges. Um, some of those are ameliorated by the fact that I do have name recognition in the, in the community. Nice. Um, so, you know, I one of the big advantages of running with a slate is is borrowing that name recognition either from the slate or other candidates on the slate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one area that I, I'm not disadvantaged by, I don't think. Um, but certainly in terms of, um, you know, having people that have done this before and know what they're doing. Um, this is, you know, I've, I'm my own campaign manager. I've, I'm my own designer. I've, I've, you know, had made, every, you know, with a lot of help from my partner, um, you know, made all of the promotional materials and, and figured all that stuff out. So I've learned a ton, um, but I've also learned a ton of things that I could have done better. Um, so I think there's that aspect of it. I will say that there's been a lot of candidates who have, who are or, or um, incumbent counselors who have offered me support or sat down with me for for lunch or for a beer and 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 you know, chatted with me about their experience. So nice. I've been grateful for that. Um, nice. you know, I, I was offered positions on a lot of the slates, um, but I also think that you know, our council needs to do a better job of sort of working together. And so I figured, okay, well, who better to help foster that than the guy that everyone wanted to work with? Um, so it was sort of stays an independent and if I get elected, I can kind of hopefully, you know, try to, to bring everyone to the table. Um, so we'll, we'll see, um, you know, if it was the right decision or not, but, um, I've also certainly enjoyed the freedom to kind of try, try some different things and, and, and just sort of do things in my Evan way. (laughs) Okay. Nice. Uh, there is another former Olympian that is a counselor right now, Alexa Liu. Uh, is is she a friend? Is she some? Uh, is she a mentor? Is she somebody that you've uh, really tried to emulate and, and look towards as being somebody uh, that's been able to get to be a counselor and has for a few years? Well, and, and Alexa also got elected as an independent the first uh, first two times around. So, you know, proof in the pudding that it is possible to, to get on there as an independent. Um, right. Yeah, Alexa has been, you know, we've we've known each other going back to, you know, kid, kid sport stuff. Um, so kid, you know, she's been so, so active with the Kids Sport Richmond um, chapter and, and with Kids Sport PC as well. So when I started helping with Kids Sport in 2016, she was one of the first people that I got to know through that. And um so she's yeah always been always been there for the you know for 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 that aspect of 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 my career and then once I started to talk more about getting involved with this and um it she was the first person to say hey let's go and grab lunch and we can chat about what the role is and and you know what what it actually what actually goes on behind the scenes and and some of that stuff you need to know in terms of if you're going to, if you're going to put your name forward. So um, yeah, really grateful for, for that. And, and really grateful for the opportunity to, you know, have stuff that we disagree on and have really nice, respectful conversations about that. And, um, and, and, all, and that sort of stuff, it's been, it, it's been fantastic. So, and I, I gotta say, I've had that with a lot of our counselors. Um, there's been very few that um, have been hostile towards me. Um, so that's, you know, that's fantastic. I got an endorsement from Harold Steves, which, you know, in having that in Richmond is a pretty huge honor because that he's, you know, he's finishing up 50 years of, of serving, you know, serving the city. Um, and, and so to get his endorsement, that was, uh, 
that was pretty special as well. So he's been, he's someone that said, Hey, call me anytime. So if I get elected, I think he might regret that, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's been wonderful to see, see the support from, from the incumbent counselors. Yeah, that's gotta be fantastic. And yeah, it's super special. Okay. So uh, let's go back to your athletics career for a little bit. Um, we talked about that fourth place finish in Rio and uh, it seemed to, you know, just create a, a big groundswell of support behind you and everything you did. Uh, then we turn to 2021 and you finally get an opportunity to go back to the Olympics and uh, try to get to that podium. Uh, you're in the race, uh, you, you, three and a half hours, and you're coming close to that finish line and you find yourself in fourth place again. And you're like, uh oh, uh, I don't want to be fourth place again, do I? I want to get onto that podium. Uh, can you remember? Can you take us back to that period of time in the race where you were realizing, uh, this is it? I have this opportunity. I'm fourth now, but I don't want to be. Uh, I had been struggling I, most of the race. I, you know, training had gone really well. I was in really great shape. And then day of race, just nothing was clicking. I didn't feel super comfortable. And so a lot of the race was kind of just like, all right, like, well, maybe things will get better. Maybe things will get better. And, and constantly. So when, um, you know, when the athlete from Poland took off off the front, it was kind of like, ah, like, I can't quite go with him. Like, gotta, it's gotta let him go. And nobody else is willing to take it on. So kind of let him go. And then I was sort of falling back and the group was sort of starting to get away. And I kept asking my body, okay, can we just have one more gear and try to pick it up and wouldn't happen. So I was like, okay, all right, like let's try again in a couple minutes. And, and that was kind of the, the headspace I was in and, and was slowly chipping away, but a couple of guys had gotten away. I was back, I think sixth or seventh place. Um, and then with 2k to go, when we hit the bell lap, uh, on the 2k loop, I was in fifth place about four seconds back of the athlete just ahead of me in, in fourth. Okay. And this was an athlete who had beat me at world champs in 2019 by three seconds for, oh. he won silver. I won bronze. And he was just, I just couldn't quite catch him. I was closing in on him in the final stages and I just ran out of space. And so my only thought when I heard the bell was, okay, well, I can't let this guy beat me by three seconds again. <laughs> you know, so it was like, just, that was sort of my main, main focus, main focus. And by 49 K. So at 49 K I, him and I were like side by side. I was just ahead of him. Nice. And then I was like, Oh, Oh crap. I'm in fourth now. Like, Oh, I can't finish fourth again. <laughs> and you know, all the sports psychologists will tell you, you have to be like positive self-talk, positive self-talk. Nice. And there I was being like, Oh no, you can't, okay, you cannot finish fourth. No. Like, and it was just like, it was that like the, I was framing it in the most Evan way imaginable looking back <laughs> on it. And it was just like, okay. And you know, again, was asking my body just, we have one more gear. Do we just have one more? Do we have that next gear? And, and for whatever reason that, that moment, moment in time with that, with one K to go, finally, my body was like, yeah, fine, go for it. Like thing, like hamstring stopped cramping, um, body felt like it was able to pick it up and, and was able to drop the pace down a little bit. And I, I, I don't think I thought I would catch him. I think my, my, in my head, it was like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm going to get to that finish line knowing that I, I gave it everything. Right. not that much earlier i had seen him and the athlete from germany like talking to each other oh. and i kind of figured oh, okay like they're you know, these guys are fine they're 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 saying to each other like in my head i made up the conversation it was like okay like we're two three 
So let's just like not kill each other right now. And then we'll just race the last kilometer so that, oh, wow. you know, we don't blow each, we don't blow up and we at least guarantee we have the medals. That's what the conversation in my head was when I was watching them talk. I wonder what that conversation really was, but <laughs> yeah, same. It. I've never, I've never asked. Uh, <laughs> but then, so, but then he was struggling. Uh, Mark was struggling. And so I just remembered just, you know, going after it, going after it, almost tripping over my drink bottle on my last when I came by with like less than a K to go, just was, you know, so in the zone that I'd sort of drop the bottle and almost, almost trip myself over it. Um, wow. But then when you come around that top bend, like 600 meters to go, I realized like how close he was. And I got that chance to see him head on and saw that he was struggling. And I think that was the moment where I thought I might, I might be able to catch him. <laughs> and, um, and so you can then see the finish line and you're thinking, Oh, that finish line is so close. I, this is, I, I cannot catch. I'm going to run out of room. I'm going to run out of room and then got by him. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, the finish line is so far away. Why is the finish line so far away? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, like it was literally only had like 20 seconds, maybe even less than that to kind of be the, 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 the bronze medalist. Like it was like, it all sort of happened so quickly that, that in that moment coming across the finish line, like just let out this like huge yell of, I don't even know what, but it was just you know, just, I think like just pure emotion <laughs> of, of having got there. And I, it was, you know, it was incredible the way it played out. Um, but just again, to, to, you know, get to that finish line, knowing I had given it everything. Um, I, I think I would have been again, like I would have been fine with fourth if I had finished that same way, if I had, you know, found that extra gear and, and he had held me off and finished, finishing third, I think I still would have been okay with it. Um, but getting that medal and, and, and ticking off that childhood dream, um, was, was pretty special. And then, you know, now having the medal to put that medal in kids' hands and, and sort of tell them, Hey, when I was your age, this is what I want to do more than anything else. So if I can do this, you know, you can do whatever it is you want to do. Um, and it's really, really cool to have that, that prop, that, that thing, that kind of tool now to, to drive home that message and, uh, you know, hopefully help, help inspire kids. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just talked to somebody that held your medal uh, the other day and said, Oh, it's, uh, I didn't realize it was that heavy. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people, uh, you can see their eyeballs, uh, you know, get really large when they're actually looking or holding onto a, a medal from the Olympics. Yeah. It's, it's weighty in more ways than one. Right. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw a really amazing quote from you that said, um, you know, you don't have to always focus on medals. Uh, you should, as an athlete, try to leave your sport happy, healthy and fulfilled. And uh, I really thought that was a, an amazing quote from you um, that you said that that was one of the best metrics that a lot of athletes should focus on and not be just always focused on the gold silver bronze and those results certainly and that, that was sort of in relation to like own the podium so own the podium that was started for the vancouver olympics this kind of funding model that kind of wanted want to see us get win more medals and uh i think we're seeing some of the repercussions of that now um 12 13 14 years on in terms of a lot of different sports dealing with um different governance issues, different abuse scandals, um, 
harassment stuff and and just the toxic sport environment that does does exist out there i think we'd be so much better from a societal standpoint but also from a sport standpoint if instead of medals were our metric if our metric was what percentage of our athletes leave the sport as you said happy healthy and and fulfilled because those are athletes that come back and coach those are athletes that go into their communities and you know and and talk positively about sport and inspire that next generation and so if you have a couple generations of that even if they didn't win medals those people go off and and become you know community sports leaders you're going to build a huge grassroots you're going to build a much greater and stronger grassroots sport uh, network right. that will within a few generations be producing more medals than you were getting in your medal focused uh, thing because you'll just have such a bigger talent pool um, and 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 you know a bunch of athletes who are coaching now that have kind of been near that level or at that level. Um, I just think overall it's a it's a it's a harder metric to measure. <laughs> you know, medals are nice because they're very easy to count. Um, right. But I I do think we'd be better off if if we focused on how do we you know, from every stage. You know, in high school, how do we get how do we keep more more um, you know girls in sport through high school? You know, that societally we'd be so much better off if we didn't have that huge drop off in sport participation, um, you know, at, at 13, 14, um, for the girls, um, you know, how do we keep the the boys engaged after high school yeah. and you take, take that all the way up to the Olympic level. And, yeah. and I, I do think that, that we'd be in a much better place, um, if that was our focus. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's nice of you that nice that, to see you promoting that and, and trying to, you know, make that more of a metric and more of a narrative uh, instead of just, yeah, so uh, metal centric focused. And um, I, I started this podcast because I really think sport is, uh, you know, one of the greatest things that people can embrace. It gives you a purpose, a passion, it keeps you healthy, keeps you mentally healthy, physically healthy. It, it, it uh, promotes camaraderie in the community. It gives you a lot of uh, pride in your community or your nation, your city. Uh, there's just so many reasons. And I love when people can um, get passionate about a sport and then be able to share that passion and, and tell people why it helped them and give gave them the life that they have. A hundred percent. I mean, I think sport has... So uh, sport has changed my life. I, I'm the person I am because of sport. You know, the lessons that I learned that you know, are so applicable to life. <laughs> you know, a huge part of why I'm doing this run for council is, you know, I want to take the skills that I learned in sport. I want to take that goal setting, that dedication and that teamwork. And I want to use it, you know, to, to help in a different way now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think just the you know pr- the promotion of sport and 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 get getting people active. And I think COVID showed that. I think the amount of people that started going for walks, you know, during COVID, just yeah. for their physical and mental health. Um, you know, I think a lot of people saw that just the benefit of being outside and whether it's you know getting more kids doing unstructured play and and going back to just you know playing street hockey out front, like, like I did as a kid and, um, or whatever it is, there's just so many benefits that, that touch so many aspects of our lives when we can get people more active, um, 
it's yeah, it's a, a no brainer to not try to do everything we possibly can to, to um, foster that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. Okay. So you're still participating. You're still, uh, you, you were on the race walk uh, uh, circuit this year. Uh, you were able to go to the Commonwealth games and, and you talked about the, the roar that you let out when you crossed the finish line uh, at the Olympics. When I saw you win that gold medal at the Commonwealth Games, you also just looked so overjoyed, uh, your hands to your face, how excited and happy you were. Uh, it just looked like you still absolutely love this sport and you just still are so uh, happy when you achieve your, you know, your goals and, and, and the best that you can do. I think that Commonwealth Games one was it was more surprise than anything. <laughs> okay. you know that the Commonwealth Games, so that was a race over ten kilometers, and I always have sort of sold myself short on having speed. I've always considered myself more of the endurance guy, and okay. I figured for Commonwealth Games, I was like, okay, well, look, everyone else keeps telling me that I'm fast and I have speed, so I'm just I'm not I'm not going to believe myself. I'm just going to listen to everybody else for a change, <laughs> and nice. so that was kind of my mantra going to the race. It was like, well everyone else thinks you can do this, like just listen to them instead. Um, and so, yeah, being able to just sort of stay in there and, and, and make my move with 300 meters to go and, and, and win that race against a really talented deep field, um, was kind of like, Oh, okay. Maybe I should listen to everyone else more often <laughs> and, and have a little bit more, more confidence in, uh, in my speed. Um, and certainly, you know, that's given me, a lot of confidence going forward with obviously the 50 K um, has been taken out of the, out of the Olympics. So we no longer have that 50 K, yeah. but we do have a 20 K, which I think before Commonwealth, so I was kind of like, ah, yeah, I guess I'll try to go to Paris and you know, I won't do very well. Cause I'm not good at 20 K after the, the race in Birmingham was kind of like, Oh, okay. Maybe I can compete still with those top guys in 20 K and, and figure nice. out how to race the 20 K and, nice. and all that. So um, it's certainly given me a bit of a renewed motivation for, uh, for Paris and, and for our world champs in Budapest uh, next summer. Wow. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the 50 K is no longer part of the Olympics uh, movement right now. Um, they, uh, they have a policy that, uh, it has to have a a women's event uh, as well as a men's event to continue forward. Uh, why was there never a 50K women's event? Uh, because that way they could use their policy to get rid of the men's event. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've been pushing for a women's 50K for, for years. We finally got one at the World Championships in 2017. Wow. Um, you know, we've given them proposals that would have, you know, equaled, equaled the bat like equaled the the numbers um but actually had less overall athletes so dropping the quota for the 20ks dropping the quota for the 50k and then adding a women's 50k where we would have had that equality oh, plus still had fewer numbers of a fewer overall number of athletes which is what they also want oh, okay. but they didn't want that so it was very clear from that that it wasn't the fact that that you know that wasn't the sticking point is that they wanted to get rid of the 50k walk because it's a free event that wow. um you know they can't make money off of um unfortunately so yeah i don't have very good things to say about the ioc <laughs> to be honest um 
but uh yeah incredibly disappointing we were lucky enough that we fought hard enough to save it for tokyo at least and had that one last one last go but uh yeah it's it's disappointing and and honestly most of us aren't sure how solid the 20k is on like you know getting rid of race walking overall like altogether we think that's probably in the cards in the next next decade well i've been watching olympics since i was a kid and i've seen some uh sports go and then come back in you know subsequent olympics later on Uh, a lot of the cities uh, put some forward and uh, try to get uh you know certification or inclusion um do you think that's a possibility in the in the coming years yeah we'll see um it is hard to it is hard to say it is really tough when you lose an event that has zero infrastructure requirements and and is a free event you know you, you replace that with um you know something that requires a stadium or you know where it costs you know a thousand dollars to go and watch um it makes in my mind the olympics even less tenable moving forward um so that's sort of where my root disappointment comes from is is taking away those free events and all that um but we'll we'll see going we'll see how it goes going forward i I think the olympics are kind of at a big turning point um that we haven't seen since sort of the uh post-war era when the soviets were doing their own multi-sport games that had mass participation and um and the olympics kind of went oh oh that's that's threatening to us we should uh you know i guess we should maybe let women compete um, and that was you know what spearheaded uh women part- women's participation in the olympic games back in the early 20th century um so i think we're kind of at a moment similar to that right now in terms of in order for the Olympics to move forward within the way society is changing, there's going to be some big, big changes to how the Olympics operate. Um, so we'll see. That's sort of my hunch at least. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think, um, you know, there's, there have been some, you know, really big issues with the Olympic movement and, and, you know, the cost and, and uh, I see a lot of nations that aren't very good to their regular people uh, trying to throw their hat in the ring to, uh, showcase and say to the world, "Hey, look, we're great, but we're you know, and behind the scenes here, we're not that great, but uh, we don't want anybody to sort of see behind that curtain." Yeah, yeah, and I've like literally seen that in in Delhi at the Commonwealth Games, my first Commonwealth Games, twenty ten. Literally from the village to the stadium, they they would just they put like curtains up, like um, banners up that had like really nice pictures on them and they were hiding the, you know, the, the, um, the tent towns and, and the, the little, and you're just like, like literally trying to hide that stuff. And it was, you know, as a, I was, had you know, ripely turned 20 year old at that point in time, uh, was, was kind of like, Oh man, this is not great. Um, so yeah, we will, we will see how, how things change and adapt and all that going forward. Um, I follow a lot of sports. I, I, I really uh, yeah, have a wide range of spectrum of the sports that I follow and love. And uh, I've got really, really sick and tired of uh, Russians that uh, come in, uh, seem to be uh, tainted with doping uh, scandals and controversies, 
And um, you decided to take on uh, a bit of the Russian Federation uh, because you competed against uh, Russian athletes that were um, using PEDs. And um, tell me about uh, how you feel. uh, Has Russia been able to, you know, change any of their policies? Have they have they gotten any better or is are we still seeing lots of Russian athletes uh, competing uh, dirty, not not clean uh, with what they put in their bodies? It's hard to say in athletics because they're still not competing. Um, they're, they're, they track and field world athletics um, have been the most harsh in terms of um, you know repercussions. And yeah, so I mean, it's certainly made have their absence has certainly made our event much cleaner um them and and we also you know finally got rid of one of the italian guys who was uh, a two-time drug cheat as well um and this you know it's, it's been fantastic uh, you know rio rio have you know coming forth in rio and knowing that the three guys ahead of me were clean and i was never going to get that bronze medal was such a good feeling um compared to you know one of my really good friends jared talent he's won four global titles and never crossed the finish line first Um, and and so the last six years or so have been very refreshing to, to not have that same, you know, same thing we're dealing with. Uh, there are other countries in race walking that, that, you know, have are suspicious as well and and have their issues. Um, and in other sports, you know, you, you look at some of the shady stuff that North Americans do, that it's kind of more of that gray area stuff, but, um, by and large, uh, at least in athletics right now, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to say, especially, and, you know, it's tough to say because we also have new technology in uh, the shoes are changing a lot of things in, in track and field. Mm-hmm. And so it's so hard to see these big jumps in performance and not being able to know how much of that is attributable to the shoes mm-hmm. makes it really hard to figure out, if these jumps and gains are suspicious or just technology. Um, so it's, it's a really complicated, complicated one to answer, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully it gets sorted out and uh, you know, I I'm glad that there's a ban on Russian athletes uh, currently in, in a lot of the athletic competitions. And, you know, I think that should continue until they can prove that, you know, they're clean and uh, you know, they don't, you, you don't have to go, against somebody that uh, you know is cheating yeah we had a there's a russian coach who's banned for life now who had over 30 of his athletes test positive wow. and so it was sort of like well yeah it's pretty hard to believe that any of your athletes are clean when when over 30 of them have have been caught so far yeah. um but you know we still hear that he's coaching you know, they'll go to training camps off in the wilderness and and he'll show up to to to, to do some coaching and stuff like that so when you hear stuff like that it doesn't fill you with confidence that anything has changed yeah of course yeah i had an opportunity to um interview michael jordan at one point in my career and uh really was a a thrill of mine uh i asked him um if he could if he had seen that he had made a difference with his main charity which was the boys and girls club of chicago and he lit up and said that he was able to uh, get a phone call from a kid that he mentored who graduated from university and said that just meeting Michael seemed to steer him away from the 
trouble in his neighborhood to be able to um, fulfill his goals and dreams in his life. And uh, it was really uh, heartwarming, I could tell, for Michael and for me to hear it. Uh, you've talked about kid sport quite a bit and uh, the things that you do. You're you're off to a hockey tournament today. You you uh, you had a ride the other day with kids and and people. Um, tell me, is there some inspiring stories that you think of when you talk about kid sport and and what you've been able to bring to that uh, organization? It's it's um, always amazing to hear from kids who you know were were benefactors of kids sport um, and and just what allowing. You know, what getting a season of sport did for them, allowing them to play sport, you know, the friends they made, the lessons that they learned and, and the skills they developed. It, it's, it, it's always amazing to hear those stories. I love them so, so much. And, and one of my good friends, she grew up with, um, you know, receiving kids sport support and, and she talks really eloquently about the difference that made in her life. Um, just generally as, as sort of the, the, you know, one of the, the guys who people see in Richmond doing their thing. Like it's always really cool to you know, have people stop me um, and to stop me a chat and tell me about how they watched the race or where they were when they watched the race in Tokyo and all this stuff. And you just think, man, like I just never imagined all these people turning in, tuning in to watch a race walk event. Um, so great. You know, I was door knocking last weekend and had, you know, had a, 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 a mother and father come, you know, say, okay, oh, wait here for one second and ran inside and got their kid and brought their kid outside. And, and the kid was just so excited and got to see the medal and got to, you know, we took a picture and all this stuff. And as I was walking away to the next house, like I could hear, like I could hear the girl, like, you know, crying because she was so excited. Wow. Um, and I was just like, man, like, how, how does this, how does this little metal thing have that power and, <laughs> and impact? And so, you know, who knows, you know, they're, thousands of kids now have, have held that medal in their hand or, or, or put it around their neck. And, um, you know, if, if even one or two kids take that and, and it, you know, inspires them in some way, shape or form, that's, that's incredible. And, and, and worth every ounce of blood, sweat and tears that I put into getting it. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that you, uh, we're going to go down to Australia. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta wrap it up soon. Do we? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I got about, yeah. A couple more minutes. Okay. Uh, you mentioned, um, going to Australia and, and doing about 600 kilometers in a week. Uh, what's the longest, what's the longest, uh, walk you would do for training? Uh, so never done 600 K in a week. My biggest week's about 220. Um, <laughs> but a typical month down in Australia would be 600 K. Oh, um, month, month. okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, but, um, you know, so like a typical week, um, in a training camp would be, so we do two long walks. So like two 40 plus K walks a week. Um, a couple of harder sessions. So like a longer interval session, uh, maybe doing you know, three or four, three Ks, um, with a little bit of rest and then like a shorter speed session, some 500 or one K reps, maybe like a tempo of 15 K 12 K something like that. And then a lot of easy walking around that. So, you know, usually training twice a day, a lot of times that's just 10 to 15 K kind of easier, maybe you know, five minutes per kilometer. Um, and then just doing that, you you know, week after week after week and, and having an easy week in there to recover and then going right back up to doing those hard, that hard stuff and, um, and just putting in the work to, to get fitter. Nice. Nice. Uh, the longest walk I did was 63 and a half K. Uh, it's called the great walk. It's, uh, on Vancouver Island from a small town called Tassis 
to a little bit larger town called Gold River. And uh, I lived there as a kid. And they said, uh, we, we host this uh, annual uh, walk race. And uh, they, uh, they promoted it so well that I said, I'm in. And uh, they, we had to get pledges and uh, did it. And I accomplished it. I got a little trophy called the Burning Boot. And uh, yeah, I always was very happy that I uh, did that and accomplished that. And uh, it just, knowing that I was going to talk to you, it triggered that memory and uh, doing that incredible race when I was a kid. That's amazing. 63K. I've, I've never walked that far. So that's incredible. Um, I think the most steps I've taken in a day is about 62,000. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's more than I've made it. <laughs> Everybody seems to have that 10,000 steps a day goal now uh, because of their watch. Yeah. Uh, is, is that uh, is that what you recommend? Uh, I, I, taking any amount of steps over what you're doing and setting that as a goal is, is a great starting point. So for my mom, it's about uh, 7,000 steps a day that she tries to get in. For me, it's 15,000 steps when I'm training is kind of the minimum. My brother has his, I think it's at 11,000 and he's like, has like over 150 days straight. He literally will like walk laps of his one bedroom apartment uh, <laughs> to get his steps in. <laughs> um, so, and you know, if it works to motivate yourself to, to do it, then fantastic. But it's, it's all about, you know, finding those different ways to motivate yourself. And I, I talk to friends who are service industry workers that say, oh, I don't have time to be active. And they're putting in 20,000 steps a shift. Wow. <laughs> and you think, okay, well, you're being active. That counts. Like you're, you know, count that and, uh, and use that to, to pretend like you are being active because that will, you know, how you think about it also has an impact as well. So if you think you're doing enough, you'll have actually better health outcomes than if you don't think you're doing enough. Um, so yeah, find those ways to frame it positively and, and always sort of pushing to, you know, to check that box or, or do a little bit more or whatever it is. Very well said. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this busy week, election week, Saturday. Uh, get out to your polls. Uh, you don't have to go Saturday. You can uh, do early polls if you're in Richmond. And uh, any last message you'd like to give to people that are considering uh, going out and uh, and putting some names down uh, for city council? Um, well, I mean, I think the last thing I would say is that we have so many tools that we can utilize that we're not utilizing. So let's get some enthusiastic voices in there that, that want to push for some, some systemic change and start working towards it. Um, yeah, Saturday, October 15th is the next day to vote. It's the general election day. All of our, our advanced polling days are done. So okay. yeah, get out on, on Saturday and uh, make your voice heard. And how do people find you, uh, social media, online? Uh, how how is What's the best uh, addresses for you, though? At Evan Dunphy on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I think Evan Dunphy on Facebook. Um, yeah, that's, those are the best ways. I haven't made a TikTok yet. Um, uh, and then trying to be more active on Reddit as well. So trying to trying to do my my best to to hit some of those uh, different avenues. Nice. Um, good luck uh, on this election. Good luck in your athletics career going forward. Uh, can't wait to see you uh, and support you and cheer you. Even if we have to wake up at 4 a.m., we'll be doing it. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. This is great. Uh, you're my third Olympian, and uh, I really, really love it when I can get people that found a sport at such a young age. You said 10 years old and are able to uh, make that change your life, travel the world, uh, do all the things that you've done in your life and uh, make sport super important. 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for the time. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Okay. Take care, Evan. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Okay. Wow. That was a, uh, a fantastic podcast episode. Uh, really great to have Evan Dunphy join us. Uh, really appreciate somebody that's uh, so busy and, uh, you know, has to get out for his three hour walk as well as um, his campaign trail here. I uh, hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, yeah. What a terrific guy and, and super inspiring and, and uh, yeah, quite the quite the athletic career, and hopefully, um, you know, as far as he wants to go uh, with his political career as well. Hopefully, he's able to um, get into uh, that seat and uh, do the things that he wants to do, uh, change his community to where he thinks um, the great direction will be. And um, yeah, appreciate you tuning in, listening, watching, uh, giving your support. Um, always. Uh, thank you to our partners and sponsors. Uh, really appreciate your support. Um, Anchor.fm, the easiest place to make a podcast. Uh, just go there and you can do what Evan and I just did. Uh, Verbero, the hockey equipment and apparel company, industry leader in technology, performance and value. And the V350 stick is a must have. Uh, Pampas and Possibilities, uh, they are great at uh, sprucing up your home. The West Coast Vibes. Uh, nice pretty things in your home to uh, make it feel terrific and forever living the aloe vera company for health and beauty products uh, we appreciate all your support and go online and you can uh, purchase products at discounted rates as always and um, yeah stay tuned uh, this is a special day to podcast day and uh, we're going to start doing podcasts um, definitely a lot uh, more often so make sure you keep tuning in go to completesportsmedia.com and completemedianetwork.com and uh, tell your friends and family and uh, yeah let's get this going farther and farther and farther and uh, reaching goals uh, like Evan did there um, yeah it was thank you Evan uh, really appreciate your time and uh, it was it was a lot of fun and uh, we hope we can do it again so love you guys lots take care of yourself and and have a really great Thanksgiving weekend we will talk soon take care bye for now